last week, and, and this whole series has been about skepticism, right? Skepticism and, and how um, people question these different core essentials of uh, Christianity, right? And, and so last week, I, I, and what I'm trying to do each week, and if I'm not teaching, it'll be this lovely, handsome man right here, Seth. He will be teaching in a couple weeks. <laughs> Seth is amazing, uh, has amazing family, and you should get to know him. But what I'm trying to answer is the questions that essentially I get asked the most by people your age, okay? And when I say your age, uh, college days, young adults, okay? Um, and and so, the, so I'm trying to to help provide answers to these questions. And, and if, if you have more questions after, we're available. We'll talk. I'll talk to you. We can connect. We can meet. We can have coffee. And I can help answer those things because I am biting off a lot to try and cover in like 30 minutes, especially like tonight. This is something that I could cover over weeks and weeks and weeks. And I'm going to just like destroy you with like information. I feel I'm very afraid of that tonight. Um, because there's just a lot, and I don't know, I'm glad the timer's right there, because I'm, I'm going to try and not talk too long about this, but last week I talked about, you know, how in the world could a God who is good and loving and all-powerful, how could he allow evil if he is those things? So we talked about that last week, and we have, we have a podcast, for those of you that missed last week or any of these weeks, we have a podcast uh, at Ecclesia College. You can uh, listen to those if you miss them or pass them along to people that uh, may want to hear that. Tonight, we're talking about why the Bible is reliable, trustworthy, and also why it's relevant, okay? Uh, this, is, this is a topic um, that, once again, I get asked about all the time when it comes to your source of authority, your source of moral authority for your life, right? Now, I would say across the board, regardless of what you believe, there is something that is your source of moral authority, right? It's, it should be a universal like this. There's something in you, right, that communicates this is right and this is wrong. In every single one of us, there's not one person, right, that, that, that has no opinion on right or wrong. I've never met someone that had, or that, that, that was just like, oh, I don't know, I just kind of go with whatever, and I don't feel good or bad, or I don't think they're evil or good, like, no. There's, there's always strong opinions, and that comes from somewhere. Now, why this is so important, okay? If you're exploring faith, uh, or you're a Christian, or you're exploring Christianity, Christianity is going to point you to what as your source of moral authority? <laughs> okay, these are like, if you had Sunday school as a kid, uh, this is that Sunday school answer, God the Bible, right? So Christianity is going to point you back to Scripture, God's Word, the Bible. And so this is so important because if that's your source of authority, there's a lot of people that are going to question how that could be your source of authority. They're going to point to the age of it. They're going to point to all of these things they've heard. They're going to point to uh, what people uh, that they know have said, other teachers that they have, because uh, I know that I am just loved in the philosophy department here at U of O. I mean, they speak so highly of me. They love me, uh, and I'm being sarcastic, right? Okay, they're, they're, going, to, they're going to speak against what I'm telling you. And, and I know that, and, and I love that, right? I, I love to, to talk to them. So this is so important because you're going to be asked. If you, if, you, if you say, I'm a Jesus follower, you're going to be asked, 
how can you follow the Bible? It's got this and this and this. Uh, It's not true, all these things. And so how do you stand and what do you stand on? So I'm going to try and unpack this as best I can. And, And the first thing that you need to understand, once again, and this is for anybody, regardless of your belief system or what, I'm going to hopefully unpack why Scripture is reliable and why it's trustworthy, okay, and relevant. The first thing that you have to understand and know about God's Word is the Bible claims to be God's Word. Okay, that's really important. So let's start with that tonight. So the Bible isn't just a book. It it, it literally has claims about itself. Okay, so the Bible's not saying, hey, I'm a good guidebook for you. The Bible's not saying, hey, um, I have some good information to hold on to. There's some great stories. Uh, they're going to make, you know, they're going to help you uh, live um, a, a life that, that you make better decisions as a result of. No, it actually claims to be the exclusive word of God claims to be the word of God. In fact, in Proverbs 30, verse 5, this is how it alludes to itself. It says, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. It says, every word of God proves true. In 2 Timothy, uh, in the New Testament, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 and 17, it says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Okay? So the thing that you need to understand, first of all, about the Bible and and why it's reliable and and why it's trustworthy is, is you have to start at the very beginning what it claims to be. It claims to be the very word of God. That that God spoke it and then it was written down for us. Now, from just a, a historical perspective, you guys, no book from the ancient world has more manuscript support than the Bible does. There is no other book, like none. And, and when we talk about, so the New Testament, just the New Testament, right? You have the Bible, again, the Old and the New Testament, right? 66 books. The New Testament possesses the greatest number of manuscripts, and this is just the New Testament, of any book from the ancient world. And when we say ancient world, this is prior to A.D. 350, okay? 350 A.D., all right? So anything prior to that is considered the ancient world. And so to better understand uh, this, currently there is uh, listed... Uh, 5,856 manuscript copies written in the Greek language. That's the original language, okay, of of that. And and these include handwritten copies of the New Testament. And if we add this number to more than the 18,000, 18,000 New Testament manuscripts written in other translations, right, or other languages besides Greek, the overall count to manuscripts that we have, ancient manuscripts of just the New Testament, is almost 24,000. 24,000. Okay? That's that's insane. And, 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 And although we don't have the original manuscripts, like we don't have them, they're not available, they whittled away, uh, you know, we have, we have better and more copied manuscripts than any other book from the ancient world. And all of these manuscripts that we have were written between 30, um, between 30 to 300 years after the original text. 
which is also crazy for recording original texts historically. Time frame was huge. Uh, most of the books you read uh, that, that will be at U of O and, and everywhere else, those are written, the manuscripts are written thousands of years after the original. Okay, and, and it's deemed trustworthy, accurate, right? So here we are, there's like 24,000 just New Testament manuscripts, and they're all written between 30 to 300 years after the fact, after these things happened. And so when you think of the Bible as a whole, right, we have old, new. We have 24,000 New Testament manuscripts. We have 42,000 Old Testament scrolls and various collections. You have 66,000 plus total biblical manuscripts. Okay, some of you are just like, that's a lot. Okay, I'll just say that. That is a lot. And if I had a graph, I would compare it to other like books that, that you're aware of. But that is insane. And, and, and guys, from those manuscripts we can reconstruct the original text with over 99% accuracy. Isn't that crazy? I mean, guys, here's the thing. Remember, they didn't have the printing press, right? Just agree. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Huh. Um, and, 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 and so one of the things that, that, I, that I love to talk about, it's not like, you know, it's not like you copying someone else's work, which you've never done, uh, right? Where, where you go home and you like try to figure out and, and okay, so I'm not even going to lie. This is an honest, transparent place. Math in college, before I surrender my life to Jesus, I cheated a lot in math, okay? I'm just putting it on the table, all right? It happened, Okay, I had two math majors as roommates, and they may have left a few things out. And I just happened to see them, right? And I'm trying to struggle this, and there it was, and sin overcame me, okay? And I, I stumbled, I fell, right? I've repented since then, so we're good. But um, I remember they had a way of writing down the math, and, and they both, they, they were not very good at writing. So I was like trying to interpret, Right? And, and what's horrible about math, how many of you like math? Ugh. Okay, that's cool. We love you anyway. But <laughs> math has all these symbols, right? Symbols, not just symbols. They have like mini letters, like not even full-size letters. They're like mini, right? Minis, I call them. Okay, so mini letters. I always tell people, as soon as they put letters in math, they lost me. I'm like, no, that doesn't work. It's unknown, Steve. No, it's math. It's numbers. Leave it. Okay, so anyway, there's these small letters in there, and then there's these, these small little numbers along with the big numbers, right? And there's all these signs and everything in there. It's a mess, right? So, so here I am. I'm in college, and I'm like, man, I got to pass this at some point, you know? And, and when I was in college, I avoided math like the plague, right? Like every term, I would start with a math class. So, and I'd be like, this is going to be different. This term's going to be different. This term's going to be different. You're going to do it. You're going to stick it out. And guess what? There was always a deadline when you can drop every time I dropped. Every single time. Every single time. Okay? And, and so I, I remember uh, trying to copy, and I would fail at copying. And then the teacher would say, hey, Steve, I think you're on the right track, but what did you mean there? And I'd be like, I'm not sure what I meant. 
I was in the zone. No, uh, like, you know what I mean? But I couldn't fully do it, right? Like, and, and so for, for some people, they're like, how in the world could it be accurate? I mean, they're, they're copying it, they're handwriting it, all that. I've tried that. It doesn't work very well. Well, I want to just describe to you the Old Testament, for example. In the Old Testament, these Jewish scribes and how they actually copied and passed along these original uh, or these manuscripts, okay? So I'm just going to walk through literally the list on, on what had to happen. So these are the, 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 the way, this is the way they had to do it. They could only use clean animal skins, nasty, but that's how they wrote, that's what they wrote on, both to write on and even to bind the manuscripts, manuscripts each column of writing could have no less than 48 and no more than 60 lines. The ink must be black and of a special recipe. They must verbalize each word out loud while they're writing. So as they're writing it, they have to say it out loud. People have to hear it. They must wipe the pen and wash their entire bodies before writing the word Jehovah every time they wrote it. They, there, there, there had to be a review within 30 days of them writing, and if as many as three pages required any type of corrections, the entire manuscript had to be redone. The letters, the words, and paragraphs had to be counted, and the document became invalid if two letters touched each other. The middle paragraph, word, and letter must correspond to those of the original documents, and the documents could be stored only in sacred places. And, and, and so, like, none of these documents uh, were allowed to be destroyed because they were considered to be God's word, so they were stored usually in synagogues and in Jewish uh, cemeteries. And so, you guys, this was uh, incredible precision, right? It wasn't random. It wasn't by accident. It, was, it wasn't like, hey, you seem to be a good cheater. Do you want to write this down? No, these are scribes that are, are they're professionals at at doing this, right? It's not like you saying, hey, can you come in here and copy this for me? These are professional scribes. They come in, they do this, and this they put them through the most rigorous test to make sure it was accurate, okay? And so it wasn't just this thing that just over time and developed and changed, right? It wasn't like the telephone game, right? That, that you play, and then one person says something to the next, and by the end of it, it's a different word, right? Uh, no, this is in, they have incredible accuracy. Um, the other thing that, that you need to know is the New Testament itself claims to come from eyewitness testimonies, okay? That's really important, right? So, so it's claimed what? One, we know it's, it's claiming to be the very words of God, and then second, we see in the New Testament, the, it, it's claiming to come from eyewitness testimonies, right? So in other words, it's not he said, they said, she said uh, uh, that they saw this and then they passed it along to me. No, 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 no. It's not, oh, I had a dream. Like, no, no. These, like, we have eyewitness testimony accounts that it's saying from people that were there. In Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, look at how the gospel of Luke kicks off. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these are, these are called the gospels. They are, are four separate accounts of Jesus' life. And in Luke chapter 1, it says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. 
And then in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, it says this, For we did not, and this is Peter talking uh, to these Jesus followers. He's saying, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were, it says, eyewitnesses of his majesty. Okay, so he's saying what we wrote, what we passed down, what we preached, what you have in your hand is not coming from a a myth that was generated and passed along. It, It came from us who were there who saw the glory of Jesus. We were there when he talked. We were there when he was crucified. We, we, we were there after he rose again and appeared to us, and it wasn't a myth. It wasn't passed along. We didn't go out in the woods and be like, oh, this is a great story, we, and come back and write stuff down. No, we were eyewitnesses. We were there. And guys, when, when, you, when you look at just the Bible as a whole, I mean, it's just so complex. It's, it's insane. Uh, so the Bible, uh, even though it was composed by, by many people of diverse backgrounds, guys, when you look at the different writers of the Bible, so many different backgrounds and written in so many different periods, you guys, it, it's crazy how it all points to and manifests this evidence that there is one mind behind it all. There's one God behind all of it. See, what's crazy, you guys, is when you look at the Bible, it was written over a period of 1,500 years. 1,500 years. That, that, that's nuts, right? It's composed of 66 different books, like I said. And, and those books were written by about 40 different authors. Okay, three different languages used, right? Hebrew, Greek, and some Aramaic. And it contains hundreds of different topics. Okay, and, and, and written in a variety of literary styles. I mean, you've got history, poetry, parable, allegory, apocalyptic. You have all these different styles within it as well that, that, that are incredible. And, 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 and like I said, written by all of these individuals from, from different occupations, yet in spite of, of how crazy that is, in spite of 1,500 years, 66 books, over 40 different authors, different occupations, different backgrounds, uh, all of these things There is unparalleled unity in the Bible. It's insane. You go, how? Right? You should say how when you think about that. You guys, from Genesis, very beginning, to Revelation, the end, it has one central theme. Jesus. You guys, in the Old Testament, it was the anticipation of Jesus. In the New Testament, it was the realization of Jesus. And so there is one unified message throughout the Bible. It's humanity's got this sin problem. And the solution is salvation through Jesus. It's this one unified message. So that although you get caught up in crazy and gnarly stories of David, like this Goliath, and, 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 and then you're in the New Testament and crazy stories there and, and all of this and these situations and, and some of it that's hard to understand and make sense of and all this, it all has this centralized theme and purpose. And, and, and you guys, the other thing that's just incredible is like when you think of just like uh, the, Bi- the Bible has all of these supernatural predictions, uh, we call them prophecies, right? All throughout. And, and in fact, it, it, it contains nearly 300 prophecies about Jesus, 300 predictions about Jesus alone. 
And, 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 and guys, here's what's crazy. Even biblical critics would say that, that the latest of these, the latest of these predictions comes 200 years before Jesus enters as this baby. 200 years before. Okay, so it wasn't like, hey, I believe next week that the Ducks are going to beat, I don't know who they play, Arizona State or Arizona, whatever. Like, like you know what I mean? But like, it, it wasn't like, oh, they're dating. I think you're going to get married. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like, some of us were like, I have this prediction, and it's like a year later, or I predict you're going to be this in life. Like right now, I've got three little boys. My wife and I are like, I wonder what they're going to be. I think he's going to be that, right? Think about it. That's, that's a wimpy prediction. That's like 18 years. Like, wow, way to go, right? They're making predictions, and, and the earliest of them are 200 years before he arrives, okay? And, and, and yet, Jesus fulfilled all of them. Like, it's, it's nuts. Like, if, if you want your mind to just be, boo, blown away, just study prophecy about Jesus. And, 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 and you start studying these prophecies, and you're like, and you're like wow, that, that, that is cool, and, and that's amazing. And then you go, wait, how many years was that? Oh, that was like 500. Oh, 500? Like, what? How? Did they know each other? No. No. Like God spoke through this prophet. He was, God spoke to him. He wrote it down, and that, and then all of a sudden, Jesus came. And Jesus fulfilled every single one of those. And so, guys, that, that is remarkable in and of itself. But the other piece that, that this just speaks to you guys when you think of prophecy, predictions, and all this is when you look at the historical accuracy of the Bible, it stands out outside of anything else. I mean, think about this right now. All of us could jump on a plane and go to the places we're reading about. Like, have you ever just thought about that? Guys, there's certain religions that are putting out there all kinds of names and cities and stuff, and you go, well, where is that? And they're like, oh, you just got to have faith. I'm like, no, where is it? Well, we think it's over here somewhere. No one's ever heard of it, but yeah, we think it's over here because it was written down. I'm like, mm. Every, everywhere on here. Like, 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 you look at it, and you, and you go, oh, my goodness. And then, and then, guys, they're digging up more and more stuff that's confirming these places, that's confirming Scripture. So the more they dig, they're thinking, oh, we're going to get the Bible, we're going to get the Bible. And yet the more they dig, they're like, the Bible's true. Right? And not only that, you and I can go jump on a plane, and we can go, and we can literally walk through these historical places, and, 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 and we can read names, and we can read events, and all this, and we're like, that's that. Like, that's that. Right? That's incredible, you guys. And, and, and so you look at just the historical uh, accuracy. Um, you guys, like, what's amazing is <laughs> when you look at uh, just how it's written, it's written by literally people who, and some of them, they, they were not believers in the first place. Okay, so, so some of these people were not, like, programmed to write what they wrote. Right? Some of the writers of Scripture were people, uh, like when you look at the New Testament, someone that wrote a lot of the New Testament is a guy named Paul. Paul was very anti-Christianity, right? And so it's amazing that this guy that was anti is now writing it, right? So it's not written by just a bunch of biased uh, individuals, right? And, 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 and here's the other thing. If, if you were going to write it, one of the things you wouldn't do, right, is talk about your own flaws, would you? At least I wouldn't. Right? I would hide all of them. 
And yet we see uh, that it's written, and it even talks about the flaws of these people. Like it talks about their flaws. And, and, and so uh, you think about that. You think about the history. And, and guys, many of the events in the Bible, they are witnessed and told by secular writers and historians, okay? Secular writers and historians, those are people that are not, they're not of faith, right? They're not of the Christian faith. And, and they themselves attest to stories, events, and people in the Bible, okay, which is just uh, incredible. When you think about Josephus, he was this famous Jewish historian. He talks about Jesus, and he talks about John uh, the Baptist. Uh, Tacitus, Rome's most important first century historian. This is Rome's most important first century historian. He talks about the rise of Christianity after Jesus' crucifixion by Pontius Pilate. They, they, they all write how these people, this group of people, how they were willing to die for what they saw. And like I said, archaeology just keeps digging up more and more proofs of this book, not the opposite. And guys, the stuff about Jesus that we see that's written, it was written down literally a couple years after he ascended. A couple years I mean, you see guys in the New Testament preaching, and you know what they stop and say? You were there. Like, they literally will say, you were there. You saw that. And the crowd responds to that. Why? Because they were there, and many of them ended up believing. Okay, now, what about, I know your head's like a sponge now. It's just like, what just happened, right? But what about all the crazy stuff, right? What about all the weird stuff? You just acknowledge, guys, if you've read it, there's some stuff you go, what in the world? Like, what is happening here? This is bizarre, kind of gross, don't know what to do with it, right? And, and, and you come away with all of these different things. So, so how do I reconcile that, these events, these stories, these moments, this culture, how do I reconcile, it's saying it's the word of God and all of that, how do I reconcile that with culture today, the culture I live in, the issues that, that I have, um, like, like how can you say, Steve, that this needs to be your source of moral authority when it's talking about stuff that's just crazy in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, like, like that's, that's hundreds of years ago, it's totally different now, totally different world. In fact, Steve, you're old, it's, 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 it's even different than when you were my age, right? I mean, you could totally say that, right? And you'd be, you'd be valid to say things are different, and they are, um, but... Why in the world can it still be reliable and relevant to our culture today? Okay, so the first thing that you need to understand and know is what Scripture says about Jesus and what it says about itself when it comes to relevant, right? So first, in Hebrews 13.8, it says this about Jesus. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What does that mean? That means when I read the Gospels, when I read about Jesus' life, when I read about the challenge in Scripture to follow him, I can know that Jesus has never changed, nor will he change. Nor, nor will he need to be changed. But nor will he ever change, right? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. In other words, what I read, how he interacted, how he dealt with people, I can take that and apply it to today because it wouldn't change based upon culture. Guys, here's the thing about culture, right? Culture, this is the most consistent thing about culture. It's continually moving, right? It never stops. So you have a choice. 
Do you always base truth and moral authority off of something that's always changing, or do you base it off of something that says it's never changing, right? Which is Jesus. I'm good then, today, forever. And so the truths, the messages of Jesus, he's not saying it was good for then, it was good for that audience, but hey, for those of you that read this hundreds of years later, just just forget it, right? Just forget about it. No, he's saying it's good yesterday, today, and forever. The principles, the practice, how Jesus modeled, how he spoke, how he loved, disciplined, all those things are relevant for you and I today. That's what it claims. And then in 1 Peter 1, 25, it says, But the word of the Lord remains forever. How long is forever? Yeah, yeah. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. That's what it says. The word of the Lord remains forever. We read in Hebrews how the word of God is active. It's alive. Literally read how it's, it's, it's active. It's, it's, it's alive. Okay? So, so when it talks about the word of God, it's alive, it's active. When, when we read uh, about that it remains forever, what it's saying is it doesn't have an end date for when it's relevant. And it's alive, so it has the ability to connect and speak today just as it did then. Okay, and, 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 and Christians always believe that. Okay, when, when, when you look at the beginning of the New uh, Testament, guys, what were they looking at? The old, right? That's what they were reading. That's what they were studying. Jesus is quoting the Old Testament. He's fulfilling scripture from the Old Testament. And, 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 and so, you guys, he, he wasn't saying, hey, that was way back then, but this is now. No, like, now, is he introducing this whole, like, man, revolutionary grace concept in a way that people had never seen it or explained it? Yes, amazing, right? Um, and, and, and he literally turned the world upside down by focusing on the heart instead of uh, what? All of the appearance and the actions and the facade, right? He went after the heart. But, but we see that, that, that scripture, he, he never denied the old, right? He affirmed, right? He didn't contradict. And guys, even though you look at these things, you need to understand that, that scripture one, it won't contradict itself and it claims to be alive and it claims to be what? It claims to remain forever. So it wasn't just good then. It wasn't just good for one time period, for one group of people. When you read the New Testament, you see these letters, and, and your temptation's going to be, that was a letter written to a specific group of people. I'm not there, and I wasn't alive then. So it doesn't work for me, right? No, 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 no. It's alive, it's active, it remains forever, right? He didn't timestamp it and say only for now, but not for later, right? So, so scripture in and of itself, it's saying this is an all the time forever thing. It's alive, it's going to connect with you. And so you can take it and you can trust what is being said, even in a letter to a group of people far away, uh, that, uh, people that are trying to learn how to follow Jesus. And guys, when you read that, when you study that, our church just went through First and Second Peter, it's amazing how those same issues and situations we're dealing with today. Like, literally, you go, oh my goodness, I, I feel this way. I think this way. I'm having this struggle. Someone's saying this about me, right? And, and here is the second thing you need to understand, okay? And this is really, really important for you, okay? You have to be able to read the Bible and understand and know the difference between 
description and prescription. Okay? This is really, really important. Okay? In the Bible, it will describe the setting, describe the people, describe decisions they're making, right? And there is a difference between it being descriptive and prescriptive, right? Prescriptive is you need to do this. This is for your application, right? Like, like so uh, within the Bible, it, it's telling you about things and it's, it, it's, it's making you aware of those things. It's not saying, hey, go do that, right? Like, like here's low-hanging fruit. This is an easy one. It's like, well, hey, they had multiple wives. So Steve, show, like, could I like marry multiple women? I'm like, no, dude. No. But it's like in there. And I'm like, well, one, I mean, have you ever even talked to the girl you're dating about your plans or your desires, why don't you start with that? Because I'm just curious how that's going to go. And, and then let's talk more about it, right? And, but, but you see things like that, right? Guys, it can describe decisions people make without endorsing those decisions. And you need to be able to understand the distinction, right? You need to be able to understand the distinction, right? Because it's describing cultures, like, like literally hundreds and hundreds of years of culture, which culture does what? Changes. So it's continually speaking to what's going on in the culture, and there is a difference between describing the culture and prescribing application to you, okay? So it can describe these people that did all that got married multiple times, but then you see the prescription of how God designed marriage, right? And it contradicts that. And Scripture's not contradicting Scripture. You just need to know there's a difference between description and prescription, okay? And so what, when, when I see a lot of people get hung up on different things um, and, and, and different just weird things, I go, do you understand what's going on in the context there? And they're like, no, I don't understand. I just think this is weird. Well, here's the context of what it's describing. And this is why. This is why it's telling you about these people groups. This is why it's giving you uh, an understanding of that decision, right? It's pointing you into a greater understanding uh, of how God intersected into a culture that was warped, right? And, and, and guys, when you look at the Bible and you read it, you're going to see a lot of cultures that were just jacked up. You're going to see settings that were jacked up. When you see, uh, if you read 1st 2nd Corinthians, uh, the, the church in Corinth, Corinth was like Vegas on steroids. Old Vegas, not New Vegas. New Vegas is much more family friendly. But Old Vegas, like when I was your age, was not so family friendly. And, 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 and it, was like, it was like that, on, like it was nuts what was going on there. And so it describes things. It describes what those people are dealing with as they try and follow Jesus. And you're like, this is crazy. This is weird. I don't get it. Well, yeah, you don't get it. But it's describing it to you. And then within that, you see the prescription of like, how do you handle these situations that are going to come your way? And guys, yeah, you may not have the very specific thing in our culture that's currently trending written down there, but you have enough to know how to make a, a decision that is relevant to today. You always will. You always will. Okay, and so, and so guys, that, when I, when, I, when I look at this, I go at the end of the day, though, you have to ask yourself, what are you going to choose to believe? Right? You've got to ask yourself that. What are you going to choose to believe? Who are you going to believe? And what is going to be your source of truth? Okay? If you don't have a source of truth, you're in trouble. 
And if culture is your source of truth, you're going to continually be changing. You're never going to be satisfied, and, and, and you're going to just tr be trying to keep up. And what Scripture speaks to is a foundation of truth. And so, guys, I want to encourage you to process, even tonight, as I've just talked about why it's reliable, why it's trustworthy, uh, how it stands out, what is your source of moral authority for your life? Where does that come from? And guys, lastly is this. What do you do with Jesus? What do you do with Jesus? You got to ask that. Because you cannot say, oh, I agree with him and all that. Do you know he claims to be God? <laughs> Do you know that he claims exclusivity when it comes to the way to God? This is all in Scripture. And so at the end of the day, you've got to ask, what is your source of moral authority? Are you going to choose to believe Scripture, place your, your, your trust in it, and then ultimately, it, it, its central theme is Jesus. What do you do with Jesus? And so I want to ask you to, to, to think, to pray, and to process that.